you'll turn in your Bible to the book of John, and we're going to look at John chapter 20, and we're going to read a passage and see what God has for us from his word through the words of the Apostle John and the words of Jesus contained in that section of Scripture. I don't suppose that before the beginning of this month, I had heard the term shelter in place. I might have, but I didn't give any heed to it, didn't have any curiosity in finding out what it meant. Since then, of course, times have changed, and my interest has grown in the subject. I think the essence of it is is stay put in your home. That's what it has to say to us. I could not help but think about something that the writer of Ecclesiasticus says. He says, a sure shelter is a faithful friend. Faithful friends become our sure shelter in times of extreme difficulty. Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, but I have called you friends. And by the way, the language that Jesus chooses there indicates that once he calls us his friend, he is never going to pull the plug on that relationship. He is going to be faithful to us no matter what. The Bible says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus, by his own description, is the truth. He says that in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus earlier says in the Gospel of John, If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus is the truth. His word is the truth. And his word is that which has the power by the Holy Spirit to set us free. We have, in a sense, been imprisoned by the coronavirus. We're kept from being and doing who we want to be and do. But Jesus is the one who sets us free. He is the truth, but also His Word is the truth. Therefore, we have the capacity to be set free. With that in mind, let's begin in the book of John, chapter 20, verse 19. This is the day of Jesus' resurrection. That is the setting in which these words are spoken. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make some observations about how the truth sets us free. We see it in this description of Jesus' appearance to his disciples. 
some have raised the question as to who were these disciples. Were they the apostles or a larger group of disciples or maybe the apostles weren't even present? But the broader context would indicate to us that these disciples were ten apostles. And we know that when Judas betrayed Jesus, he was reduced from the apostles. There were eleven of them. And if we were to read further, what we would discover is that the apostle Thomas was absent. So Jesus was speaking to ten men, these words. And the Holy Spirit has preserved this truth for us. What this passage teaches us, first of all, is that the truth will set you free from your greatest fear. Look again at this passage. Let's read verse 19 again. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Let's stop there just a moment. Why were the doors shut? Well, last night I shut my doors. I locked them before I went to bed. I felt secure because I had done that. In this case, these men were afraid of the Jews. That would be the rulers of the people of Israel. Because it was that same set of people who had rendered a judgment against Jesus resulting ultimately in his brutalized death on the cross. They probably by this time had heard what the same group of people had said to the temple soldiers who served that group of people as a militia. And they had said, tell the people, spread the word all over Jerusalem that the disciples of this charlatan Jesus of Nazareth have come and they have stolen his body. The tomb is empty, but it's because they have come and stolen his body. You can imagine the fear which could have been engendered in the hearts of these ten apostles. First of all, knowing what Christ had gone through, the brutalizing flogging and the crucifixion, upon that cross where he gave his life for you and for me. And then the fear that they would be pursued, they would be hunted down like dogs in order that they might suffer a similar fate to that of Jesus. In a nutshell, they were afraid of dying, weren't they? This is the greatest fear of man. I'm convinced of it. Lots of times people say, oh, I'm not afraid of dying. But I guarantee you, people in the world are more in touch with their mortality now than they have been in quite a while. And they are afraid of dying. Some of them are truly afraid of coming out of their shelter and their homes. Because if they stay put, they believe they'll be kept from getting this illness. I'd like to read something which C.S. Lewis great apologist for the Christian faith, wrote during World War II. Listen to what he said. What does war, by parenthesis I would say, or the coronavirus do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us die. 
and the percentage cannot be increased. It can be put several deaths earlier, but I hardly suppose that that is what we fear. Yet war does do something to death. It forces us to remember it. War makes death real to us, and that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. If you will, turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which would substantiate, I believe, what I say, that the greatest fear that we really have is death. In Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14, these are the words of God. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Do you know, if you are fearing death, you are under the spell of none other than Satan himself, because he, by Jesus' scripture, description, came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's described in the book of Revelation as a badon, which means destroyer. He is one who strikes fear in our hearts with the anticipation of death, so we make every possible move to prevent from finding ourselves in that situation. The good news for us is, who know Jesus Christ, that we do not have to fear death. We who have heard the truth, more importantly, we who have received the truth and the person of Jesus Christ, have been set free from our greatest fear of death. The Bible talks about what sin does to us. In the book of Isaiah 59, it says, our sins separate us from God. But the good news is that what Jesus did when he came and died on the cross and then was raised from the dead, he made it possible for us not to any longer be subject to the fear of death because he conquered death and he conquered the grave, which led the Apostle Paul to say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And let me pause here just a moment. Jesus took the stinger of death, sin, out and into himself so that we would not have to have that kind of concern. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, the scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And among those things which are impossible to separate us is death. Listen carefully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes an astonishing statement. It's true, by the way. He says, to us, the Spirit would say to us today, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world 
And catch this, or death. All these things are ours because we are Christ's and Christ's are God, is, Christ is God's. So the good news for us is because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be sure that we have been free from death. Because God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, taking the stinger of sin so that we might become righteousness of God in Christ. So that when the Lord looks at us now, Father looks at us now, He sees us as being in Christ, and we are loved by Him with the same sort of love that He has for His Son, Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, Perfect love casts out fear. And he who fears has not been perfected by love because fear has to do with punishment. Christ was punished for our sins so that we might be set free. The truth will set you free. Jesus will set you free. The Word of God will set you free from your greatest fear. The second thing that we learn from John chapter 20 is that the truth will set you free to enjoy life. Now, let me stop here just a moment and note that Jesus describes himself not only as the truth, but he also describes himself as the life, doesn't he? So, Jesus is the truth who sets us free, and he will set us free to enjoy him. In the Westminster Shorter Confession... The purpose of man is described as being to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We were created to enjoy God, to enjoy the life of God in the person of Jesus Christ and that life which comes to indwell us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. This is awesome to think about. And in this passage, we see the substantiation of that. If you'll look in the middle of verse 19, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Can you imagine what that meant to these ten men? They were chilled, I'm sure. And at the same time, their hearts were warmed. It was Jesus, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, which were the expression of how he made peace. Do you understand? This is the only thing Jesus took pains to show his followers about himself after he was raised from the dead. On the road to Emmaus, he intersected two disciples who were forlorn. They were incredibly sad because of Jesus' death. They were chatting with one another, and Jesus started walking alongside and they didn't understand who he was. They didn't know it was Jesus. He spoke to them. And finally, when they sat down to have a meal, it was only when Jesus was giving the meal to them, serving them. He was their guest. He became the host. He's serving them. And when he did, the sleeves on the garment which he wore exposed the marks in his wrists where the nails had been driven. And then they knew who he was. Later, in that same chapter in Luke 24, Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. And they were 
concerned that he was a ghost. The reason I know that is because in that section, he says, A ghost does not have flesh and bones. Touch me. And John says in 1 John, to introduce his first epistle, he says, That which we have touched, we've heard him with our ears, we've seen him with our eyes, but we have touched him. Jesus was fully human at that point, more fully human perhaps than he had been before. But what we know is that Jesus in the midst of them was great encouragement. Peace be with you. The implication is clear. They were disturbed. I would have been disturbed. They were not only fearful, they were anxious. Sometimes I don't know where one of those emotions begins and the other one ends. Probably you have that same viewpoint. But nevertheless, Jesus, the truth, sets this group of people free to enjoy him. Why do I say that? Look at the last part of verse 20. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced. I wish I could have been there to observe the joy. These people were so downcast. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He walked right through the wall. Remember, the doors were shut. They were locked in the language which John the Apostle uses to describe the shut doors, is they were shut and they couldn't be opened. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. And they were probably a little afraid to see Him. Then they heard His voice, Peace be with you. And the result was that they were overjoyed. They rejoiced. No telling what they said. We don't have record of that. But we know it was a great worship experience that they had together with their Lord It's true for us when we know the truth, Jesus, and we know that He comes to us as surely as He came to them and says, peace be with you. This is what He wants for us in this world. If you're listening this morning and you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, it's one step from where you are to receiving eternal life. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It's a matter of coming before Christ, humbling yourself before him and saying, Lord, I believe. And you might even say like one man did to Jesus when he was having a difficulty knowing whether he really put enough faith in him. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Be desperate to know the Lord. Be desperate to be free from your fears. Be desperate to be free from your worry. Come before Jesus. Trust Him. And you will experience life eternal. Beginning right that moment. Remember what Jesus says? He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has, not will have, that is true too, but has right that moment, has eternal life. That's true for us. Praise the Lord for that great truth. Here's the third truth that I believe is found in this passage of Scripture. The truth will send you to set others free from their greatest fear. This is the message for us who know Christ. We're to obey the law. 
as long as it does not encroach upon God's orders, we're to obey the Lord in obeying the law. We saw that last week. But we're to obey Him, and we're not to be afraid of what we might face. Look at this section of Scripture, 21. It says, Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus says in Luke 19.10 about himself, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in John chapter 6, if you've got your Bible open, go ahead, since we're in the area, go back to John chapter 6, where Jesus talks more about having been sent from the Father as to why He had been sent. And as you turn there, I'm going to quote from John 3.17. This is the words of Jesus. He says, For the Son of God came not to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. Why did Jesus come? To save the world. From what? What did the world need saving from? Sin. What is the outcome of sin? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Through one man sin entered the world, and listen, and through sin death entered the world. So the outcome of sin ultimately is death. Physical death, yes, but even more horrific is spiritual death. And Christ died on the cross a spiritual death in order that you and I might be free from fear of what lies beyond that. He came to seek and to save that, which is lost. Now look at John six thirty-seven through 39. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And now he describes what that will involves. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? The Father, if you know Jesus, the Father has given you to Jesus And you are a gift to Jesus. You are precious to Jesus. You're precious to the Father, of course, because you are His child. But you are precious to Jesus. Jesus would never think of disposing of you. Never think of casting you away. That is clear in this passage of Scripture. And His will was to do what was necessary to give us salvation but also to see once that we have received this salvation, we will never lose it. He says, I am on the job. I will certainly not cast you out. And I'd like to refer you one more time to the last part of verse 39 of John 6. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. This, meet, this does not meet the English reader's eyes, but the word has given suggests once given to Jesus by the Father, it will never be removed. Jesus in John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Our responsibility is like Jesus' responsibility. And quite frankly... 
when we look back at John 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. And the word has sent means Jesus is still on mission. Well, I thought Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for those of us whom He has saved from our sins. And I would be right, and you would be too, to reach that conclusion. But Jesus is in us, and He commissioned the apostles, and by virtue of our association with them, He has commissioned us also. Those who have been set free by the truth are sent on a mission to set others free from the truth. This is our way of glorifying God on earth. It is the primary way in John 15. Verse 8, Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And he also says this, I chose you and set you apart so that you should go and bear fruit. Disciples. Jesus wants us to glorify the Father, and it's the way we have been given. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so proved to be my disciples. This is what the Lord has for us. We're not to cower in a corner any time, but especially at this time. We're to be ready to lay down our lives for others who do not know the Lord, given the opportunity to do that. We're to share Christ. If we have no fear, it will show up in our demeanor. Do you believe that? If we are free from worry and in its place has come great joy, it will be contrary to what most of the people whom we contact are experiencing. Do you believe that? And the peace and joy and lack of fear, the courage which we have, will be something that will ratify our message that we share about Jesus That he is the one who has come to set the captives free. And among those things which he has come to set people who are captive to sin free from is death. We are the ones who have the good news and we are given it not to hoard it, but to pass it on to other people. I'd like to take a few more minutes of your time to talk about how Christians throughout the ages have shared with unbelievers in times of great peril to themselves. I'm going to the second century A.D. The figure I'm going to allude to is a man named Galen. From that century, the second century, into the 1300s, for 1300 years, this man, his work as a physician was heralded as the work on subjects like anatomy, pharmacology, also other areas of life, philosophy. And students of medicine would study his work. He lived originally in what we know as Turkey, Asia Minor, in a city named Pergamum. It's referred to in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. But he found his way because of his great prowess to the center of civilization, as it was known then in Western civilization at least. He found his way to Rome, and his reputation grew. 
He was consulted all the time. When the plague hit that city, listen carefully, you think people are dying at a high rate today because of the coronavirus? In that day, it's reported that 2,000 people were dying a day in Rome from the plague. And what did Galen do? Well, he did what most aristocratic Romans did. He left town. He went to his villa near his home in Pergamum until things settled down. It was good for him to go back there again. Do you know what the believers did at that time in Rome? The believers ministered to the dying. Ministered to their own dying, other Christians, but also to people who had been left behind by their family because, well, their family was afraid of dying and loved their own lives more than they did the lives of their loved ones. Why did the believers stay behind? Well, because Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. They were being obedient to Christ. They are disciples of Christ, doing exactly what he told them to do. But not only that, they knew if they were to die, they were going to heaven. Going to be an upgrade for them. There was another plague that happened 12 centuries later in London. One of the royals who lived there, his name was Lord Craven, He had a home outside of London that was free from contact with other people, a beautiful home, beautiful estate. So he's packing all his things to leave, and several servants who were under his employ there in his home were talking about his leaving. And then one of the servants, one of the female servants says, it seems that our Lord Craven is leaving London, believing that the God whom he knows lives and protects in the country in a way does not live and protect in the city. Lord Craven overheard that statement, and he was quickly convicted by the Holy Spirit. He was a follower of Jesus, and he rethought, and then he said, I believe my God lives everywhere He's just as present in the city as he is in the country. And the result was he stayed. And he didn't stay huddled up when there was a need to help people. He began to roll up his sleeves and minister to the people who were dying of the plague. He did not get sick. That doesn't mean that you and I are not going to get sick if we minister to other people who are in that kind of situation. But nevertheless, we are to not be afraid. There may come a day, like in 1918, when the Spanish flu was running rampant in Philadelphia. The writer of this article that I read about that event said, As conditions worsened, health workers in the city pled for volunteers to care for the sick. Few stepped forward. In Philadelphia, the head of emergency aid pled for help in taking care of sick children. Nobody answered. Could it be that if this plague of the coronavirus 
reaches fever pitch, as is suggested, that 200 million Americans are going to be infected. And of those, 3% of conservative number will die. That's 6 million people who will die. And when the people who are governing the health care profession, they're going to run out of hands. What are we going to do if we know Jesus? What are we going to do if there's a plea for us to come help? Well, I think the answer is clear of what people who knew Jesus in the past did. They reached out and helped. May God give us the grace to do the same. As we finish up our time together from this study, I'm going to ask the question and give you at least three answers to the question, what must we do to be set free from our fear of death? First of all, the truth must be the center of your life. That's the first thing. Where does that come from? Well, in verse 19, the Bible says in the last part, Jesus came and stood in their midst. In the center, really, is what it means. In the middle of them. Jesus Christ has to be the center of my life if He's going to set me free. I love what John Stott says about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the center of life. All else is circumference. Jesus is the focal point of the individual who has trusted Him as the truth to set them free. It is true. We must be men and women who trust the Lord by putting Him where He belongs, at the center of our lives. Is He the center of your life? Do you put Him first in your life? Is He not one among many gods? Is He the only God of your life? He is the truth. He sets us free from the fear of death. Number two, the spirit of truth must fill your life. I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of truth must fill you. Jesus says in John 14 to his men just before he was crucified, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper just like me. And he will give you this helper and he is the spirit of truth. He will never leave you. He'll be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the producer of the Word of God, which is the truth. Jesus says about the Bible, He says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is what we need to understand. And also the Spirit of truth, according to John 16.13, these are the words of Jesus will guide you into all truth. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will guide you into the truth, and your life will be a life of freedom, not just freedom of the fear of death, but the freedom from sin and all the encumbrances that come when we're enslaved to sin. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Word of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will be a person by the Spirit of truth's power to be free. The Spirit of the Lord, wherever He is, the Bible says, there is freedom. Here's the third and last suggestion. Meditate on the truth. What's the truth? Well, it's God's Word, isn't it? In 2 Timothy 1, 
6, the Bible says this, Fan into the flame the gift that is in you through the laying off of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you go back to John 20, verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who we, whom we have. It is he who gives us courage, not fear. And that courage is shown in power to do that which we don't think we can do. And love where we forget about ourselves in favor of ministering to others who are hurting around us. And also self-control. We're not to be out of control like the general population might be today because of this coronavirus. And the last verses I'll mention in this regard are found in Joshua 1, 8, and 9. Do not let this book of the law, the Bible, depart from your mouth. As Scott read the scripture and encouraged us to read the word of God out loud. Because when we hear it with our ears, something happens. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then he goes on to say, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Who is with us now that we know Jesus, well, the Holy Spirit's with us, of course. God the Father's with us. Jesus the Son is with us. A quick story and one or two more quotations. The story has to do with something that happened in my home in Arlington, Texas, probably 30 years ago at least. Arlington, perhaps you know, is in the Metroplex of Texas. It's really in Tornado Alley. And it was not uncommon for us to be under tornado warning. My wife, my daughter, and my son, we were all huddled up in our den watching the news because a tornado had been sighted in northern Tarrant County and it was bearing down on Arlington where we were living. And there was great ominous warning. My son, who was probably about 10 years old there, began to weep and roll on the floor. He was in contortions. And I said, what's wrong with you, Josh? And he just kept rolling and crying. And then my daughter, three years younger than he, probably about six years old, said, Josh, why are you worried? And he said to her, because if I die, I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to hell because I have not asked Jesus into my life. He said that. And he was right, by the way. He was 10 or 11 years old. And then about that time, a public service announcement came on the TV. And it said, the warning has been lifted. And I'm telling you the truth. It was like a switch went on, and my son all of a sudden was the picture of peace. And I said, son, do you want to receive Jesus in your life? He said, no, dad, I didn't. Didn't want to, dad. Don't want to. He has since, thank God. But the point is, when the crisis is over, sometimes the pressure is not felt to receive Christ. Receive Jesus today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. 
and you shall be set free. Psalm 46, 1 says this. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Whom shall we fear? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have come to set us free. Thank you for what is ours in Christ. And we pray, Lord, for the person who's watching who does not know Jesus, does not have freedom from fear, freedom from worry, is full of sadness instead of joy. Today, if you're listening, friend, pray and ask Jesus Christ to give you eternal life. Repent of your sin. Turn to him and you will have this freedom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.